Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy Church. Um, I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. My name is Mike. I am the campus pastor here. Um, I just wanted to start by saying thank you. Um, It is such an honor to be one of your pastors. You guys, you're kind, you're gracious. The amount of people that have prayed over me this morning, it's honestly, it's it's been overwhelming. But this church and this community, it means the world to me. So thank you guys. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Um, Before we get started, let me pray. Dear Lord, we need you. We want you. We want to hear your word. We want it to change us, so we want to be more like you. Lord, would your word be clear? Would it be vibrant in a way that changes who we are, that changes our perspective, and that we get to see more of of you and more of who you are, and that our lives are forever changed by it? Lord, if there is anything that I say that is off today, Lord, would you uh, just wipe that away? But if anything is true, would it get into our hearts, get into the hearts of our people, and make us more like you? And it's in your name we pray, amen. So today, guys, we get to wrap up our series on Ephesians. And let me tell y'all, it ends in a bang. We get to talk about spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Uh, And as we dive in, these ideas, they might feel like distant or abstract in some way, but this letter, it gives us a wake-up call, a call to understand the reality that there are spiritual forces at work and they're acting against God's plan and against God's people. And I have heard people say that you cannot preach a sermon that ministers to others until it ministers to yourself. And let me tell you, this has ministered to me. For those of you who don't know me, I was a physical therapist until this year, uh, but God made it clear that he wanted me to be the 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 pastor of this campus. And the details of that story, they're for another day. But my point is that in that transition, I experienced spiritual warfare like I never have before. And for my family, it can be summarized as unexplained chaos. I don't know what percentage of this is spiritual warfare, the results of my flesh being weak, or just things that happen. But when you look at the totality of all of it, it's easy to recognize, especially in light of the scripture that we are reading today, the enemy was at work. To make a list of just a a few things that happened to us within one month of coming on staff, uh, it started off, our water heater blew up in the middle of the night. That was a lot of fun. Top blew off, water went everywhere. Uh, A few days later, I absolutely smoked a deer while I was driving down the road to pick up a friend for a community group, had to do a ton of work on the front end of our car. A few days after that, we ended up having to replace the engine in our Honda Pilot after spending a bunch of money to repair the engine that we ended up replacing. 
And then tragically, a few days after that, our chicken coop burnt down. Uh, yes, and worse than, uh, worse than it burning down, all 20 chickens were inside. Yeah, the jokes about blackened chicken for dinner did not land well with my five-year-old or my wife. <laughs> and while all that was going along, every person in my family, and I'm not exaggerating, we got strep throat, we got the stomach bug, we got the flu, and then ended up with COVID back to back to back, and we were exhausted. And none of that really compares to dealing with some new heavy relational issues with our distant family like we've never had to deal with. And even that doesn't compare to the level of division and confusion that my family has experienced. My wife and I both, we would unapologetically say the enemy has caused division and communication, feelings of isolation that we have never experienced before. We both, we've been tempted with sin. It's new and unexplained. And I can stand here now and I can discuss these things openly and honestly, joyfully, because of the Lord, he has provided for us in beautiful ways through all the financial hits with, with our family and our friends, his redemptive power, his faithfulness, his protection, they are shown in everything I just listed. Except the chicken coop, that thing is a goner forever. <laughs> But the reality that there are spiritual forces working against the will of God has never been more real to me than it has this year. And as we approach the word today, I wanna ask you a question. How do you deal with evil in your life? Whether it's the evil that you see in the world as you look out or the evil that you see when you look into your own heart. Do you confront it? Do you stand firm? Or maybe I could ask it in this way, as you seek to walk with Christ and you experience resistance, do you stand firm? Or are you full of fear? Or do you run and hide? For me, it was really tempting to run and hide. Escaping felt like the only option. So for me and my family, it was chaos that disturbed my home as a, as a safe place to rest. For some of you, it might be crippling anxiety, loneliness, depression, marriage conflict, or maybe it's that sin that you keep going back to again and again and again. Or maybe it's fear about the conflicts that we see in the world or the increasing opposition to the Christian worldview that you see in your workplace or even scarier that you see in your kid's school. Do you stand firm or do you run and hide? The text we're gonna to read today discusses these questions. In light of the evil that we see in the world, how does a Christian stand firm? And that brings me to the main point of the text today, which is in order to stand firm against evil, you must put on the full armor of God. And we're gonna get there by landing in three different places. Gotta have three points since I'm preaching a sermon and here they are for the note takers. The first is that we must recognize that the enemy is real. The second is that we must put on the full armor of God. And then finally, we must pray about everything. So if you guys would flip with me to Ephesians chapter six, we're gonna start in verse 10. I'll give you just a moment to flip there. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. 
for our struggle, it's not against flesh or blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. So we have evil authorities, the devil, cosmic powers. It is a lot to take in, but this is my first point here is that we must recognize that the enemy is real. As I was trying to process and pray through this text, it made me think of a book that I was reading recently on health and wellness, and it details the story of how they came up with germ theory. So it's hard to imagine a world where people don't understand bacteria, but it wasn't that long ago that we started to figure this out. So it's the mid 1800s, there was a physician, his name was Ignis Swimmelweis. I'm for sure butchering that, but that's the best we're gonna get. Um, and he was essentially, he was an OBGYN uh, or the equivalent of it. He delivered babies and he was really troubled at the death rate of his patients that he started to see spike. And what had happened was uh, he, they were getting a fever that they seemed to be contracting in the hospital. And so what he did is he connected this new spike in death rate to interns that were coming in and they were kind of bouncing around the hospital. So they were getting treated by the sick patients are there the interns were treating the sick patients then coming over to the, um, the delivery ward and helping deliver the babies and then these moms were getting sick. It seems obvious to us that it's because he was transmitting the disease, but they had no idea that bacteria existed. So Ignis, he proposed a theory that there were what he called death particles that his interns were carrying from sick patients to well patients. And what he did is he demanded that the interns wash their hands before treating his his healthy mothers and newborns. Seems reasonable. And what happened is the death rate dropped from 30%, which is um, astonishing, all the way down to 2%. So there's a lot of weight to his argument. These death particles, they must be out there. But despite that massive drop in death rate, his contemporaries and his colleagues, they completely rejected his idea. And listen to what they said about it. They said, we cannot see these death particles. So your ideas are implausible and incoherent. In fact, they rejected and mocked his idea with such opposition, he ended up having a nervous breakdown. They put him in an insane asylum where the guards beat him and he eventually died. Tragic story. And my fear, guys, is that we treat the idea of spiritual powers the same way Ignis's colleagues did. Fear we make the same mistake we cannot see these spiritual powers. We might be overwhelmed by them, but we don't even think to wash our hands. Despite seeing evidence of their destruction and their action and evidence of the benefits of fighting against them, we consider ourselves too civilized to acknowledge that there's something acting on us that we cannot see. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would say the same thing his colleagues did. I cannot see these spiritual forces. Your ideas, Paul, they're implausible and incoherent. And yet we sit here helplessly watching their destruction, making no effort to perform the necessary spiritual hygiene to protect against them. And I think guys, when we get to heaven, our ignorance of spiritual warfare, it will seem just as barbaric as the doctors who ignored germs in the 1800s. Paul, he's making a very clear statement about reality that our church needs to hear and believe. There are spiritual forces, they're evil and they're against God's plan. 
They are real. And in somehow, in a mysterious way, they work in your life to distract you, to deceive you. They tempt you. They cause fear in you. They fill you with anxiety. Their sole purpose, guys, is to keep you from fixing your eyes on Jesus. And what's probably the most alarming thing for me when I read this text is that Paul seems to suggest they have some degree of authority in this world and that the real battles that we're facing are against them. As sort of an aside here, I wanna address that idea because it might be really confusing to understand. You're like, hey, I'm a human, I make choices. I'm looking out into the world, I see humans making choices. What does it mean that the real battle is against them. And I think the most simple way to understand this is to understand the connection that the Bible gives us between really three different, we'll call them battlefronts. The first front, the first battlefront is a spiritual battlefront. That's what Paul is discussing here. This is the initial space where rebellion against God begins. Satan decided he wanted to be like God and he rebelled. And he brought with him some angels. And those angels, uh, they fill the titles that Paul states in this text, the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, etc. And they work to distract you and deceive you. And they impact a second battlefront, which is what the Bible calls our flesh. This is the broken desires of man that since the fall have been running away from God's design. The spiritual battlefront works diligently and cleverly to make sure the fleshly appetite for sin is well-fed. In both these battlefronts, they impact the third space, which the Bible often refers to as the world. This is sort of the collective sin of man and Satan and all his minions. And the result is a sin-stained creation, sickness, natural disasters, systemic sin, generational sin. The story of, of the Bible is God restoring all of this back to the garden through Jesus's sacrificial victory on the cross. So what I, what I think Paul is stating here is when he says that the real battle is against them, I think what he's saying is that if we don't fight this battle, the other, the other battles won't win. This might seem, guys, like a pie in the sky, kind of hocus pocus to us living here in 2023 in America, but it's how the Bible describes reality. We have to internalize this. The stakes are high, church. Paul, he's not describing the world as a playground. He's describing it as war. The ideas of spiritual powers at work and understanding how they work, it becomes a lot easier when we look out into the world and the harder thing to do is to look inward and recognize it as well. When we look into the world, like is there any other explanation for what you see than there's evil powers working on broken people? Like how much war, how much oppression, hatred, how much human trafficking would it take for you to admit that evil powers are at work? Just because you can't see those cosmic powers, it does not mean that they aren't as real as you and me. And then the harder work of looking inward to recognize it as well. Why is my body so tempted to choose what I know destroys my life? I love Jesus. I love his word. I know with all my heart that what he calls me to is what's best for me. But sometimes and way more often than I'd like to admit, I still choose sin. 
And if we try to fight this spiritual battle without spiritual armor, it's just as ignorant as going into surgery without protection against germs. Paul, he's begging you, I am begging you to understand that a war surrounds us. And I'm spending, I wanna spend a lot of time here because I'm worried that if we start talking about the armor of God, we don't realize the reality that we are at war, the armor of God, it'll turn into some sort of cheesy daily affirmation for us. It'll feel like a Christian Halloween costume that we put on. Instead, we must hear this as a call to action to make a stand in battle. In order to stand firm against evil, you must put on the full armor of God. So now that we've acknowledged we're at war, let's talk about the armor given to us. So we'll pick back up verse 14. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I have to admit guys, it's very tempting for me to go full nerd mode on all the aspects of the armor of God and explain all the neat nuances about the imagery and, and how the armor is of righteousness, it's on your chest, it's protecting your vital organs and how there's some cool imagery there. Helmet of God, it's the helmet of salvation, it's protecting your brain. There's a lot of really cool imagery there. And that is a really fun, good exercise to do with this text. But I think if we just land there, we will be missing what Paul is actually saying. So I want to argue that he is making a much bigger statement. And to make this point, I want to simply read from the book of Isaiah. I know our college students, you guys are going through Isaiah. So this one is for you guys. So Isaiah is an Old Testament book and it is, uh, it's a prophetic book. So it's talking about uh, the coming Messiah. And Isaiah, he's witnessing all of the brokenness and sin of the world. And he's pointing the people of God to the Messiah that is to come. Paul, the writer of Ephesians, he would have known the book of Isaiah way better than anyone in this room. So I have to think that when he chose the armor, he chose it on purpose. So I'm just gonna read. I'm gonna jump around a little bit, but I think that you will see what I see in these texts. Start in chapter 59. The Lord saw that there was no justice and he was offended. He saw that there was no man and he was amazed that no one was interceding so his own arm brought salvation. His own righteousness supported him. And listen here, verse 17. He put on righteousness as body armor and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing. Chapter 11, righteousness will be about a belt around his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. Chapter 52, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace who brings the good news of things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Then chapter 49, the Messiah speaks and he says, he made my words like a sharp sword. Does the armor that the Messiah wore sound familiar to you? I think what Paul wants us to see in this text, the armor of God that we are to put on, it was the armor originally entrusted to Jesus. That's why this paragraph, it begins with be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. 
The strength of the armor, it comes from the victorious warrior that wore it first. And when we put, our, put on the armor, we are joining Jesus in his victory over the cosmic powers of this world. I love how Paul says it in Colossians chapter two. He says, he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. He has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Verse 15, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. The work of the cross, it disarmed the rulers and authorities. It disgraced them publicly. This is a total and complete victory. That means to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, darkness has no true power over you. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if you're in Christ Jesus, you are completely forgiven. No matter how dark the darkest parts of your life may be, you are completely forgiven. Even if you're in that dark moment right now, you are in no danger of outsending the cross. Your debt is erased. You are walking in victorious armor. We see it again in Psalm 110, and I love this. So we're in this Psalm, we're in the throne room where God is talking to the Messiah and he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The enemies of God are being made into a footstool. That's kind of one of those coffee cup, like coffee mug verses that we hear so much that doesn't really resonate with us anymore. But the Christian clothed in the armor of God, we should not fear the evil that surrounds us. We should be convinced that we have victory over sin in our life. And when we fail, we securely rest on the armor given to us. Why? Well, as one of my seminary professors put it this way, these enemies, according to Psalm 110, they're being made into a footstool that Jesus will use in order to step onto, in order to enter into the throne of God. As scary as evil may feel to us, Jesus is turning them into a piece of furniture in the throne room. Jesus is able to manage all the evil in the world and all the evil in your life as if it were something from Ikea. And one of the easier ones too, because some of those can whoop me. It's a piece of furniture that he will use to step on in order to take his rightful place on the throne. Do you want to know what's going on in the sin in your life? Your marriage, the pain that you see in this world? Jesus is building his footstool. Do you wanna know what's going on in politics and in your kids' schools? Jesus is building his footstool. Several of you have come up to me and asked, what do you think is going on with Israel and Palestine? You think Jesus is coming back soon? I have no clue, but I know that he is building his footstool. We must learn to look, through the, look at the world through the Bible, which describes a very real war, but it is a war that has already been won by King Jesus. And Jesus, he's our only hope in fighting this battle. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are armored up and we join the king in victory. So what does it look like to be a fully armored up Christian in this world? Uh, Pastor Spence spent, uh, we spent the past several weeks in the book of Ephesians, walks through a lot of really practical ways of how this looks. But Paul's final exhortation in this letter, it gives us a vital piece to what it looks like be able to walk this out, and that is to pray about everything. 
So we'll pick back up verse 18. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about this as I should. Do some of you guys wish that you would pray more? Maybe we don't realize that the reality of the war going on around us, so praying feels like something that can just wait. Christians should recognize the evil that they see in the world, recognize its devastation, and that has no choice but to lead to vibrant and desperate prayer. You have heard the saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Well, Paul is saying, hey guys, you are all in a foxhole. And I have a hard time imagining that Jesus left his throne in heaven. He lived a perfect life, died the only innocent death ever. He rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and he left us the Holy Spirit so that we can talk to him every once in a while when it's convenient and the conditions are just right. The Father, he gave you access to the throne through faith in Jesus and through his Holy Spirit. He wants you to use it. Talk to God so much that prayer, it isn't just something that becomes supplemental to your headspace, but it becomes your headspace. God, I want to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. I don't know how to do this here. Lord, would you be with me? Lord, I want to share the gospel with my coworker. Lord, give me boldness. Lord, I want to invite my friend from school to church. Would you give me the words? In these conversations with God, they can't just begin in that tense moment. The Bible talks about prayer as something that is constantly and without ceasing. Do you want intimacy with God? Talk to him, listen and obey. Paul says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. The Bible's view of prayer, it does include time in your room, on your knees. And I truly believe that warriors are built on their knees, but it certainly does not in there. It is constant and without ceasing. And that is the type of prayer that a fully armored up Christian walks in. And now I'm gonna finish with this. Some of you may have recognized that there was one piece of armor that was not mentioned in Isaiah. There's one thing that, that Paul says that we need that was not given to the Messiah. And it's the shield of faith. The only contribution to the armor of God that the Christian brings to the table is the shield of faith. That is all that salvation requires for the Christian. This is the gospel, is it not? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Some of you, you're a Christian, you took up the shield of faith, which you may be realizing as I did earlier this year, that it has been resting at your side. You are being bombarded by arrows of the evil one. The armor, it's protecting you, but man, you are taking a hit. You keep going back to that sin, or maybe you keep letting fear prevent you from sharing the gospel. My encouragement to you from this text, we to raise that shield of faith position it between you and the arrows of the evil one. Let your faith in Christ as victorious protect you from the enemy's attack. Through this, you will finally be able to put to death those fleshly desires and rest in the forgiveness provided by the cross. And you'll be able to share the gospel of peace with boldness. 
And some of you, you may have realized that you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've tried to put on some sort of armor of your own, but it does not take long for you to realize it functions like a kid's costume in real warfare. The arrows, they haven't just knocked you around, but they have pierced your soul. I am pleading with you, grab the shield of faith, put on the full armor of God and experience the full security and protection of the victory of the cross. My prayer for you is the same prayer that Paul prayed at the beginning of this book. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. It's according to the mighty work of his strength. In order to stand firm against evil, you must put on the full armor of God. He has one church, so let's put on the armor. I'm gonna invite the band up and I'm gonna pray for us. If you need to talk to one of us, please come grab us after the service. I would love to walk through whatever the Lord is putting on your heart. But let us pray. Lord, like I opened up with, we need you. Not only do we need you to fight sin, we need you for salvation. We need you for hope. We need you for joy. Lord, we need you. If there is anyone in this room that is going through a period of darkness and they need to remember the total victory of the cross, Lord, would that be so evident to them that they are full of, they're just fully released from shame. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that has not put their faith in you, Lord, would you save them? Lord, would you wreck their heart in a way where they can see how much you love them and where they put their faith in you? Lord, would you, would your spirit be with us as a church to surround all of the above in this room and to point them to the cross, to point them to the truth of salvation and provide the gospel of peace. Lord, we love you. It is a joy to watch you work. In your name we pray, amen.